Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 96. This week, we're talking with another artist-turned-woodworker. Ashley Harwood started off as a graduate from Carnegie Mellon University as an installation artist, but she soon found her way into wood turning to make a little extra money. As she started off at the farmer's market and craft fair scene selling products, and as a way to stand out, she started doing some demoing of turning in her booth. From there, she found her love for teaching, had got a couple great mentors, and she's become a world-renowned wood turning teacher herself. And she talks to us about this and her incredible journey to being one of the premier teachers in the field today. Yeah, and Ashley is fairly new to Instagram, jumping on board a little over a year ago and is so close to 100,000 followers. We're super excited for her. And she has an interesting content strategy on the platform, and it's based on showcasing her classroom. And she also uses IG Live as a tool to bring people closer to the experience they could potentially have if they were in one of her classes, which is really, really cool. We're both loving following along with her business journey, and she is also on the cusp of launching a YouTube channel, which is also super exciting. Needless to say, Ashley was an amazing guest, and we are super excited for this show. Absolutely. But before we get into it, we do want to thank a new member that joined the MFP Patron Tribe this week. We had John Thorburn. John, thank you so much. If you want to support the show and get some awesome rewards, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. But without further ado, here's our interview with Ashley Harwood. All right, guys, welcome back to another interview. We are so excited to have a world-renowned woodturner, Ashley Harwood. Ashley, welcome to Made for Profit. Thank you so much, Brad. It's great to be here. I know. it's. I feel like we've been talking for an hour or so. But <laughs> <laughs> this is fantastic. We've been having all kinds of fun. Uh, podcasting is not as easy as it might seem for those uh, uninitiated and having on guests. You can always run into fun issues and we get into PC Mac conversations. But today we're talking about wood turning. So, Ashley, you are uh, you are, like I said, world renowned for turning. But all of our folks on the podcast might not know exactly who you are. You're really starting to take off on Instagram, which we'll hit in a minute. But why don't you just let everybody know uh, a little bit about you and your business and what you do? Right. So, um Ashley Harwood. I live in Charleston, South Carolina. I've been wood turning for about 10 years now. And um, when I started out, I, I just wanted to make a living making things. That was really my only goal. And um, I also started out going to the Charleston Farmer's Market. So taking my wares down every Saturday from April until Christmas, uh, waking up at 4.30 in the morning on those Saturdays to bring in my tent, my tables, all that kind of stuff. So I did that for quite a while, for about seven years. Um, and I gradually started transitioning into doing more and more teaching. So I do a lot of teaching and demonstrating all over the country and sometimes in other countries as well. And um, I also do a good amount of production work. I do teach classes in my own studio here in Charleston as well. Um, I no longer do the Charleston Farmer's Market, though. Unfortunately, I don't have enough time for that. But I do enjoy sleeping <laughs> in on Saturdays. <laughs> yes, I bet. So that's that's really cool to hear. Like, what, what did that, um, about that progression? So like from that farm, you said you've been woodworking, returning for, for 10 years. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, why, why don't you walk us through through that? Like, how did you, how did that start? How did you get into it? Was it Something you're just always interested because that's kind of like getting right into wood turning. Was it the first your first woodworking? How did that unfold? Well, um, if we go back even farther, um, I'd sort of I decided when I was a, a kid. I think I was like five, and I said to my parents, "Hey, you know, I'm going to be an artist." And they were kind of like, "Yeah, yeah, that's nice, Ashley." And my, like my dad said years <laughs> later, he's like, "We totally thought you were going to grow out of that." So um, I did that. Well. I was doing all kinds of stuff, right? You know, my grandmother got me into quilting. I did some needlepoint, all that kind of stuff. I continued making art throughout school. Um, I was doing a lot of drawing and painting. 
and things like that. I um, I went to the uh, the Governor's Honors Program for Art in, in Georgia when I was in high school. And that sort of got me into the like working in three dimensions and making really large sculptural types types of things. And once I started working in three dimensions, I knew that I was not a two-dimensional person. There's everything that I envision mm-hmm. is is really big and and sculptural and something that somebody could experience. So I went to college. I studied sculpture and installation art, and I worked in a lot of non-traditional materials. So I made things like a, like a giant chrysalis out of a few miles of saran wrap, let's say, you know, and hung inside of it for a few <laughs> that hours. That sounds amazing. Like, like you went, you you were inside. Oh of yeah, it? yeah. That's it, fantastic. That's exactly what I was imagining. <laughs> I was like, you should have a person in there. Yeah, it was oh a God, it did. was a site specific installation piece. Uh, so I went to Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, and woo. yep, woo. It was uh, <laughs> Carnegie Mellon used to be the Carnegie Institute of Technology for Boys, and the Margaret Morrison School for Women. And the, in the old Margaret Morrison building, there's this rotunda, and um, there's an inscription on the inside of ro- the rotunda that says that. The high prerogatives of women are to make and keep the home, um, you know, to serve mankind, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and it was a place where, you know, they taught a lot of homic type things. And mm-hmm. um, so this was a site-specific installation where I hung this chrysalis from that building and hung inside of it for a few hours. Like, you know, taking a, a domestic <laughs> product to build this transformative thing, you know, and then getting in it. And I, I did get in trouble with the campus police. I uh, <laughs> I got permission to hang a certain amount of weight from the building. I just didn't tell them it was going to be me. Uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. I mean, yes. so that this what year was this? Oh gosh, this was two thousand one. Okay, so far before, so so there's no you know Instagram lives or uh, you know what I know it's so unfortunate (laughs) the documentation. (laughs) I you know I've got some photographs, I've got some photographs, but yeah, no, it was not documented in the way that I wish it would have been. And um, (laughs) yeah, so I did stuff like that. Um, I made some gigantic pieces out of neon. Um, I started working with this this pattern that was a bunch of circles that sort of ex- it's expanding outward radially. And I decided after reading some Stephen Hawking that it was a map of time and space. And and then I decided that I needed to make this as an installation piece because I'm in, in you know I was an installation artist, so it had to be made out of light. So I I remember telling my um, my professor senior year for my senior project, oh yeah, I'm going to find an apprenticeship and I'm going to learn how to make neon and, and I'm going to make this big project. And he was like, Ashley, you, you might want to like tone that down a little bit. I was like, no, 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 it's all good. I've done some glass blowing before I can learn neon. I can do this whole thing. So I did a lot of, <laughs> and I did, I ended up um, making not one, but two gigantic neon sculptures. Yes. So, in all of that, um, the one thing I didn't learn from school was how to make a living at those things. Yeah. So I got to make some really cool stuff and and really, you know, use my creativity and everything. But they didn't teach us how to run a business. They didn't teach us how to make a living. And really, the only path towards getting by with that um, with that type of a you know a really conceptual based artwork um, that I could see was either teaching or constantly applying for, um, you know, artist residencies and grants and things like that. And that just wasn't the route that I wanted to go. Um, I wanted to make things that I guess that I felt like were more accessible. I wanted to make things where you didn't have to go to art school to be able to like talk about or appreciate, um, I wanted to bring th- to make things that people could easily bring into their homes and have as a part of their daily lives. So I thought that was going to be glass blowing, and I was taking classes every summer, um, intensive classes at the Pittsburgh Glass Center. Nice. Mm-hmm. I was uh, I was working in restaurants in D.C. and then going back to Pittsburgh during the summer, and. Uh, my dad actually said, you know what, Ashley, that glass blowing stuff is just way too hot. You should try wood turning. I thought, okay. <laughs> I, I, I like that. I like 
<laughs> I like the reasoning there. Yeah. It's too hot. What about wood turning? <laughs> yeah. Okay. My, my dad does not like the heat. So in 2007, I moved to Charleston and the way I chose my house was it was the one that I looked at with the biggest garage. It has a thousand square foot garage. I said, that's the house. And there was no electricity running to it. There was no nothing, no insulation. It was just a bare bones structure, not the house, but the garage. Yes. And, uh, and I wasn't a wood turner yet, but I, I just knew that I needed space to work out of and space to make stuff. And um, in 2009, my dad and I took a class together in wood turning. And I thought, okay, this, this does seem a little bit more practical. So I can actually just pick up chunks of wood off the side of the road and make stuff out of them instead of having to keep a, t a furnace at 2,100 degrees, 24 hours a day. You know, mm. that's being a, a glass blower. There's just that enormous pressure that you're burning money while you're sleeping. Yeah. Right. Right. Not something you just flick the light switch on and off, I assume. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. I've never even thought of that. <laughs> like, that's like, an, that's ridiculous. But yeah. I mean, like, I guess if you're going to do it, yeah, that's, that's insane. All right. Yeah. So I'm enthralled. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my dad and I took this class together in 2009, a bowl training class. Um, it was in January and I thought, okay, I can do this. And uh, I think that same month I applied for a grant, a local arts grant in Charleston. It was called the expansion arts grant through the coastal community foundation. And it was like, $3,500 to help me get started in my business and buy all of the initial equipment that I needed. Um, which, you know, you can spend $3,500 on wood, woodworking equipment pretty quickly. Yes. And, um, I ended up, you know, so I think doing the best that I could do, my instructor from that class actually put me in touch with a guy in new Orleans that had a lathe that was basically like a big box made of plywood and two by fours and filled up with sand with a motor on top. Hmm. <laughs> and uh that was my bowl turning lathe for a couple of years so I, I drove the 12 hours to new orleans and picked up that lathe and by the time i got there um you know he decided that he didn't need any money from me um that guy gorse was an ornamental turner and he had only used that lathe one time to turn some like 40 inch diameter bowl Oh and God. then it just sat underneath his house and it it had sat through Hurricane Katrina. So it took me quite a while to get the parts on that lathe moving again. Wow. Um, and that was my bull turning lathe for a couple of years. And uh, it was later that year. So I was by the time I got everything set up and by the time I was actually turning, I had really forgotten everything that I had learned in that class. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, you know, I struggled. I was working way too hard to make bowls. I was um, not getting great cuts. I didn't know how to sharpen my tools. I was spending a lot of time sanding. And I applied for another grant to get some more materials. Instead of $1,000, they ended up giving me 400 And they said, we think the best use of this is for you to go to this wood turning symposium in North Carolina. And I thought, man, I need tools. I need bandsaw blades. I need finishing supplies. I do not need to be spending time away from the studio. I can't afford to do this, but okay, fine, whatever. So I went. And when I was there, I met a guy named Stuart Batty. Stuart had grown up turning in the trade in England, and he had learned from his dad, who was also demonstrating at that symposium, and he had learned from his dad. So he's a third-generation woodturner. And uh, his apprenticeship with his dad would have been, you know, a pretty formal one, you know, sort of slaving away for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Oh, yeah. Um, very tough. And he was starting up his own tool company and he said, hey, Ashley, how about I teach you how to be really good at this wood turning stuff and then you can help me sell my tools. I thought, OK, that sounds good. Hmm. So I started an, an informal apprenticeship with him. In 2009, I took my first class from him in November, and immediately there was a world of difference in the quality of my turnings. So he was living in Boulder, Colorado, and um, yeah, I was living here in Charleston. So I think I had a private lesson from him maybe once or twice. Uh, but most of the time, it would be me traveling with him to wherever he was teaching or demonstrating and being his teaching assistant. The really cool thing about that scenario is that, uh, well, you know, while the students were learning, I was learning the same things. 
I just got to hear it over and over oh, and over, yeah. and over again, right? <laughs> um, right. So you're doing like machine setup and just kind of like the general helping out with like the show type activity at that point? Right. Helping him out with the shows at, um, at demonstrations. But then when he was doing hands-on classes, I was teaching alongside of him. So uh-huh. not only was I learning how to turn, but I was also learning how to teach. And it, it's a very... Um, it's a very particular skill set with wood turning. You have to be able to stand on the opposite side of the lathe and help a student diagnose what it is that's going wrong with the cut and actually put your hands on their hands and guide the cut so that they can feel what it's supposed to feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've not thought of that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a lot yeah. different than, uh, you know, the couple like little bit of classes I've taken in woodworking. It's typically like, you know, show now you do, show now you do. That's That's very... Very different. Right. Wood turning is all about finesse and feel. Mm. And so it's, if I just did the show do thing, the students would be like, I have no idea what's going on. Like this is not working. It's bouncing around or whatever, whatever the case may be, but they really need to feel what it's supposed to feel like. Yeah. So that they can then get back to that place. Gotcha. On their own. So now, so what year are we in now? This is 2010 ish. How long did you do that with him? So, yeah, I would say um, end of 2009 and then throughout 2010. Like I said, it was a very informal apprenticeship, but that's pretty much how it worked. And it really helped, too, that because I was trying to make a living at the farmer's market, you know, I I put myself in that situation where it was either make a living wood turning or lose my house. (laughs) So I was just making, making, making all the time. And if I was having any issues with my own production, he could usually diagnose it over the phone. Everybody has the same problems. Mm, gotcha. So um, that was through 2010. And then the beginning of 2011, I had my own, uh, my first demonstration. And that was for this club out in Colorado. And uh, I, I could name names, but there was just a whole bunch of the, like the top wood turners in the field go to this club. So it was kind of a nerve wracking place to have your first demo at. And I remember like Stuart was sitting there in the audience and he was like really, really quiet for the first half of it. And then you know, he's sitting next to the guy that was booking the demos, you know, and of course he had recommended that they book me for this club. And like halfway through, he's like, hey, hey, did you know this was her first demo? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> nobody bothered telling him. Well, <laughs> that's cool. So it kind of just... um I would say things just started building from there with wood turning. It's a very small but global pond. So if you go to a demonstration and you do a good job, people are going to start to hear about it. And at the time, I, I would say people were sharing things. You know, it was more of a Facebook kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, you go somewhere, you do a good job, you're going to get invited to more and more places. So uh, I think it was the end of 2011. Uh, well, I would say, oh, let me back up. I'm sorry. The National Symposium every year, the AAW, American Association of Woodturners, has a national symposium every summer. Um, it's been in June ever since I've been a woodturner, but this coming year it's going to be in July. And I'm demonstrating, by the way. It'll be in Raleigh. Nice. <laughs> and uh, so I went to the symposium in St. Paul in June, and I met uh, Glenn Lucas, who is a production bowl turner. And this guy is a machine. He's like single-handedly making thousands of bowls a year. So I had an opportunity to go to Europe with my parents that year. And I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just see what, see what Glenn's doing. See if I can go and visit him. I uh, got a chance to go and visit him and he booked a demonstration for me in his studio in Ireland. And when it was over, he showed me a map of where all these people came from. And they came from all over the country. A lot of them were driving for three or four hours each way just to see that demo. And he said, these people have never been here before. They only knew about you through Facebook. Mm. Power of the internet. Right. Right. So social media, I think, has been a big part of, uh, of how I've been kind of reaching new people, you know, expanding the audience and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I mean, I want to I jump in on something that I think – uh, I take a ton of value and, and, uh, just to preface, I went to Ashley's class at uh, workbench con and she kind of told her, uh, entire journey <laughs> while turning a bowl, which is like the, 
it was like the nicest ball I've ever seen in person and doing a slideshow presentation, like extreme, it was so impressive. Um, and it was like over the course of an hour and a half. So I know that you, you could tell your story has tons going into it. Um, and, uh, going back to like one thing I, you touched on uh, a little bit here and, and we were just ta- vibing on was attaching yourself to a mentor who is like truly a master of what they're doing right now. I know you touched on in your, in your class, how important that was to your development and your growth. Um, and it, it's something that I've always, um, found, like, uh, I tend to, uh, migrate to, you know, Brad, my relationship came from me noticing him being this killer Instagram marketer for his brand and just pestering him until he would be my friend. But going back <laughs> to my, uh, when I was playing sports and, you know, doing it at a, at a high level, I would always find the best guy in the room and attach myself to them um, in order to try to learn as much as possible. How much value do you think that that brought um, from going from someone who took a little bit of, uh, I guess you, uh, you took some classes in wood turning, got into it and then found like an actual true expert mentor. Like what, what, what was your value there? Well, it was, it was enormous for me. So, I would say, first of all, it pointed me in the right direction in terms of technique. I don't think I would have been able to continue doing what I was doing because I would have just literally caused myself a lot of bodily harm. <laughs> I was <Yeah>. like <laughs> really white knuckling everything. I had like lots of sore muscles. I would have those like tingly shooting pains going up my arm at night. All the things I, that turners say are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I, I had a, I, I don't even know what I used to do, but. I did not have a good set of techniques. So that was invaluable by itself. But also learning how to teach that Mm -hmm. I had no idea getting into this, that teaching was going to be such a big part of my career and such a rewarding part of my career. Um, It also helps to balance out the whole, you know, wood turning can be a very solitary thing. Mm. Uh, And I'm, I'm not good with that lifestyle. I know some people like it, but I, I like to have a little bit more social interaction. So teaching helps with that. Um, but back to the having a mentor. So it, I got to benefit from all of this knowledge and all of this skill and all of this training that he had had, you know, literally he's been turning longer than I've been alive. <laughs> so like, why do I want to try and reinvent that game on my own? It, it, it wouldn't make any sense. It just, it really makes sense to, to learn from somebody who has put in all that time and somebody who's learned from somebody else. I mean, wood turning was something that was passed down through the trade in Europe for generations. They didn't, they weren't making videos. They weren't, putting it up on Instagram. They weren't even writing it down. You had to have an apprenticeship in the trade that lasted for several years in order to be able to gain that knowledge. And then, yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry. I was was just, I was just thinking like when you, as you're saying that that hand down uh, that I I feel like woodworking on the other hand, in, in general woodworking, I mean, you have, you know, rubos plates and all like all this is like woodworking is very well documented but you're right like when you go to look at and i don't know like you find that um do you find it harder to write down and document that like as you've gone through and now you know you're 10 years in can you relate to that and go like oh yeah now i know why because it's just hard to write about and it's and because it like you said it's such a feel thing is that kind of the the nature of it that it lends itself much better to hands-on versus something that you can just write down and, and, uh, you know, pass on to somebody through notes. Yeah, I would, I would say you can write it down, you can have notes, um, and you can certainly learn a lot through video, but it's not going to match the experience that you're going to have learning from somebody in person, you know, and having that hands-on lesson. Gotcha. That make that makes sense. I mean, just from hearing even you talk about it, that that's not, you're right. I mean, like running something through a table saw, you can do it a ton of different ways and it's all kind of the same result. And it really doesn't matter. As long as you've still got all your fingers at the end, you're, you're kind of good, you know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and didn't yeah. have any kickback, but let, let's, I want to, I want to jump kind of into the, uh, to the piece of this as, as you're going through, cause it's like this journey, right? I mean, this is awesome journey of you kind of going from, uh, artist to, you know, college student to trying to figure it out and, and trying to figure out how to do the business as you found this, this intern, and, and helping, uh, you know, be a, a teaching apprentice and, and teach alongside him. Um, 
how, like what portion of the year was that? And then you were doing these craft fairs, like, uh, you know, how, how did that work out and how did that <laughs> transform your business? Because it seems right. like, like, that seems like a tough, seems like you're probably burning both ends of the candle at the same time. Like, was that like was. weekends or was that like months at a time? Or was it like the more like the woodworking shows that we see today where it was like once every six weeks or four weeks or whatever? Well, um, I don't know. I probably worked with him once every, I would say once every four to six weeks or sometimes once every couple of months, something like that. Yeah, it was a bit of a lot <laughs> of burning the candle at both ends. Um, that farmer's market, when I first started, they had different management than they have now. And when I first started, the manager was just, she was so enthusiastic and she was so excited for me that I had a mentor and that I had this opportunity to go and learn and to travel and to meet woodturners all over the country. And she was very encouraging. She said, you know, that's great, Ashley, go and do that. We'll see you next week. No problem. Um, and over the years, they actually changed it so that it was mandatory attendance. And then it became a lot more difficult because every time that I had to travel, um, you know, especially once I was doing my own demonstrations, I would have to find somebody that was willing and able to, you know, drive a trailer and set up my tent, set up my tables, talk to customers, make sales, do the math correctly, <laughs> right. you know, and somebody that I could afford. Um, and I had to have double the inventory. I had to have pieces to take with me on my trip and I had to have pieces to leave here. It was very, very tough. Um, it, uh, it, my business grew kind of organically. So when I first started working at the farmer's market, something, I realized something that I had not anticipated at all. Well, two things. First of all, everybody asked me if I made my name up which I did not. <laughs> Harwood yeah, say, is my real name. Harwood. That would be yeah. like only better if it was just like, if it was like Hardwood, like hey, I'm I actually know. Hardwood. And everybody <laughs> wants to put that D in there. And, uh, and the other thing was that everybody was assuming that I was selling someone else's work. Mm -hmm. They assumed that there was a man making the work and that I was the sales girl at the farmer's market. Right. So um, sometime in 2010, I started bringing my lathe with me every single week when I would go. So not only setting up, you know, all of my work and my, you know, tent and tables and everything, but then bringing my lathe and actually turning in front of people. And when I started doing that, um, I was proving that point, but I was also generating more interest in wood turning as a hobby than I necessarily was in, you know, people buying my work. And they, they started asking me, oh, well, how much does that machine cost? And how about those tools? And how do I learn how to do this? And it was just kind of a natural progression. I thought, okay, I need to start teaching classes. I need to use this, this farmer's market as a place to start advertising and selling my classes. So it was in 2011 that I started teaching classes here, um, the same year that I started demonstrating. They both kind of built up, you know. Organically, in, in yeah. Tandem. I, I love that idea of, because we get a lot of people that ask us, uh, they said they're just getting into the craft show. Like the, 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 the craft show scene and farmer's market scene, like that's a, that's a tough life, right? Oh, yeah. Like exactly just road. what you said, like you're, <laughs> I've never done it, but I've just from talking and seeing and, and hearing folks like you uh, of just setting up every week and, you know, getting the right inventory and all that good stuff. Um, that one of the things we hear a lot is like, how do I get people into my booth? I absolutely love, I don't think I've ever heard people like people are always wondering, it's like, if you can get a hands-on demonstration and even that, like all of a sudden, you know, and, and especially wood turning, I'm sure chips are flying, right? People are like, what the, what's going on over there? Like, I'm going to go over there oh, yeah. uh, and uh, see what she's doing that, um, you know, and, and I like how you said it outcropping out of that was more of the teaching. But in that moment, when you first brought it in and there was some more interactivity, did it also help drive your sales? I mean, like, you know, maybe, maybe just because I know we have a lot of folks hitting the craft scene, like what were some of those things that helped you get more people into your booth uh, if that was one of them or, or other things that you found through your time kind of working in the trenches to really help, you know, make that a successful thing before you decided, oh, I can do even, you know, better stuff through teaching and other things. Gosh. Okay. Well, that helped to get people in my booth. But like I said, it, it, it almost attracted more people that were interested in the action of wood turning or in wood turning as a hobby. And the people that were drawn towards a lathe weren't necessarily the people that were drawn towards my work. Mm. Um, yeah. But, you know, everybody wants to go and see what the buzz is. So maybe maybe it helped out in, in some sense in that way. You know, with the bowls and things that I made, I started out having really gorgeous bowls, beautiful pieces of wood. I spent a lot of time sanding and finishing them. And 
they did I didn't really do anything to differentiate them though from the bowls that people were seeing at, at Target and at Pier One and all that kind of stuff. I learned that I had to start adding certain kinds of design elements where people could clearly see, okay, here's an artist's hand at work. I can definitely tell this is different from what's at Crate and Barrel. I also started diversifying my products a little bit. So um the end of 2000, I guess it was the end of 2009, my first year, I started making these ornaments, these sea urchin ornaments. And I think now I've made over 3,000 of them. Uh, Yeah, they're they're incredible. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, if you want to make a living as a craftsperson, I think you, you got to get used to the idea of repetition and making a whole lot of something (laughs) Mm -hmm. over and over again. Um, And later on, I added jewelry. Um, The jewelry was a big draw as well. How much so it was, hmm? I was going to say, how much do you think the increasing the quality and the differentiation of your product help help like in that instance? Because we get a lot of questions on that specifically, like I can't break out of the pricing model set by Etsy, right? Or something like that, that, you know, everything's just a copycat kind of market. You know, how much do you think that that helped you specifically uh, in that instance? How much do I think the farmer's market? You, you, you realizing that you needed to differentiate yourself. Like that's, you know, that's where I remember your presentation. That's where you really started to say like, you know, things started to go in a whole different world. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean that, that (laughs) I wouldn't have been able to continue doing the farmer's market. I wouldn't have been able to continue as a wood turner if I didn't do those things. It was, um, you know, the work just wasn't selling and I couldn't get the prices that I needed to get as far as the amount of time that I put into them. And a lot of things happened that I wouldn't have anticipated. You know, I, I thought I was going to be able to make a living as a bowl turner, but it turns out <laughs> that uh, bowl turning is about the most difficult thing to make money at as a wood turner. There's a whole lot more money in spindle turning. Mm. And I would say, oh gosh, it was maybe three or four years after I started at that farmer's market, um, you know, the management changed and they let in another wood turner. Uh, for a number of years, they had said, we don't want to cannibalize the businesses that are right. already here. And then they just said, we don't care. We want to <laughs> you know, more bring in merrier, more people. Man. So so then a woodturner came in and, uh, and he was making lots of bulls. And um, he was retired from another business. So he didn't really need to make a living from it. And he was able to sell his bulls for less money than I could sell mine for. Mm. But he couldn't do those ornaments. He wasn't turning those finials and he wasn't making jewelry. So that was, that was another reason that I had to diversify. Um, you know, I, I think that you, you have to react just like you would in any other business. I remember my dad, my dad's a business consultant, by the way, that probably helps things a little bit. <laughs> Maybe. And, uh, Wait a minute. Hold on, hold on. Pull this out of my back Ace in the sleeve. Right. <laughs> so I remember my dad saying something like, Ashley, you can't expect to just go on forever and never have any competition. I was like, okay, what? dad, I guess you're right. <laughs> <laughs> that probably, that makes sense. Okay. So, so I, I think as craftspeople, you know, when you're like putting your heart and soul into something, it's easy to get sucked into that negativity of like, man, now there's somebody else who's doing the same thing and they're undercutting mm. me and wah, wah, wah. You, you just have to suck it up and you have to try and do something else. I love that. So, I mean, that's how that's essentially the way I was looking at the market here in Pittsburgh when I started selling custom furniture. It was like there's a lot of people that are doing a great job, but they're selling products that are there's a ton of competition and any type of competition brings that that, you know, amount of uh, that price, the top dollar price you can charge down because there's, you know, supply and demand. Um, So with all that supply, you got to go different direction. So uh, I kind of did the same thing, pivoting to doing more live edge and and industrial style because there wasn't really Mm -hmm. anyone doing that around here. And I ended up finding a way to, to, to where I am now. But I think it's interesting to always have that uh, kind of that perspective in in hindsight to look back and go, well, that other guy never came into the farmer's market. I might not have been turning as many finials or spindles or jewelry that made me a better, you know, wood turner to become mm-hmm. a great teacher because you know it's it all goes into the journey and i right. think it's i think it's important that when you're in a rut or you see those situations pop up that you don't get um you don't get down on yourself or you don't get upset with the situation because i think competition always breeds the best in us and right you know i come from a competitive world in sports but being 
like even in the real world, like that's a perfect prime example of how you've you've got to look adversity in the face and be like, no, I'm not letting this beat me. I have to conquer this situation. So I love that. I I think that's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. And I would say going back to the farmer's market being like a tough road to hoe. Yes, it is a tough road to hoe. Um, But there are a lot of things that you can learn from it. Number one, I think being face to face with people, you can see how they interact with your work. You can see which pieces they they pick up. You know, sometimes you can overhear conversations, especially if they don't think you're the one making the work, about, you know, (laughs) what they really think about it or or why they're drawn to one piece or another. Um, That's a huge benefit. But also for me in Charleston, it was having my face out there and, and being recognizable in the community. Even if people didn't know my name, I had one girl, um, I, I was out at a party or get together or something and I was wearing my jewelry and she's like, Oh, did you get those earrings from that girl at the farmer's market? Like <laughs> it became a recognizable thing. Um, and ultimately it, it led to um, me having one of my biggest clients right now. So I had, um, I had a woman come and sign her husband up for a private lesson. It was his, his birthday present, I think. And um, you know, that guy later went, to work for this lighting company, this lighting company, Urban Electric, uh, based in Charleston, they said, we want to make this piece that's like a shallow wooden bowl. And he's like, I know somebody that can do that. Mm. So you kind of never know how that business is going to come in, but it's physically getting yourself out there and interacting with people and putting your face out there and just going for it, I think is, is a big part of how you grow. Whether you think you're ready for it or not, or whether you think your website is perfect, you still want to draw people to it. Whether you think your work is perfect, it's still getting out there and interacting with people. Yeah. I think that's something that a lot of, a lot of us put aside now because the digital age is, it's just so easy, right? To go on the internet, Google something, go on Facebook, make a friend, talk to someone, lose a business transaction, on to the next. When I'm always advocating for like those real life personal interactions, I know my biggest clients have all come from referral handshake you know i want you to meet someone i go walk through a a home or a business or whatever it might be and the physical interaction of being in in person even if nothing comes from it i've always been able to find some benefit down the line so i think it's vitally important to find those situations right like um i've never done craft shows i it's just something that i never got into but if I never had the personal experiences with a lot of the clients that I have now in person, I highly doubt I would have ever, one, closed them as clients or two, been able to, to build a book of business. So that's hugely valuable. That's like another, I think that's another great little takeaway from, from your journey here is capitalizing on all of the face-to-face interaction because we're still at the time frame right before Instagram. Right. And, right? right. So so why don't you why don't you keep going and catch us up a little bit to, to that point? Okay, so um, I started working, well, okay, back up. So the, the, the teaching and demonstrating was, was really building, um, and I was getting more and more invites. So I ended up teaching in, like, in Ireland at the Irish Woodturning Symposium, in the UK at, the, um, at their National Woodturning Symposium. I ended up going to Panama and teaching some natives in the jungle how to woodturn, um, I taught in Canada. I taught in Australia. I get to go back to Australia next year, which is pretty exciting. So cool. Can, can I can I just stop you for just one second? How do you get a gig uh, <laughs> teaching natives in the jungle how to turn? Like I, <laughs> I just kind of glossed over that. Like I taught some natives in the jungle how to turn. Like what? What does that even look like? <laughs> like are you using like you know the the foot spindle? Like what? To, no. Dive into that for a second because <laughs> I want to hear about that. Okay, so that's another thing that came from the farmers market. Funny enough. So uh, it was a slow day, and so I was I was chatting with this guy who was standing there watching me turn, and he was telling me how he does a lot of uh, philanthropic type of work with this particular village in Panama. The only way to get there is to go upriver in this little, like, dugout canoe kind of thing for, like, nine hours, and that's how you get to that village. And, of course, there's no electricity, no running water, none of that kind of stuff. And... Um, He's like, oh, yeah, we had a project with this village. We taught them how to raise chickens and we taught them how to farm plantains and yucca. And I was like, well, if you need somebody to teach them wood turning, let me know. I'm in. 
And it that's just how it started. And the guy, he took me up on it. So um, he sponsored my trip. It wasn't something I got paid for, but um, mm-hmm. he covered the cost of my trip and brought me down there. Um, he'd worked with this other guy who, uh, who was a missionary. So they had generators in the village. We actually took my old lathes that I was teaching classes with. I had some MIDI lathes and we put them on a pallet. We, we shipped them down to Panama and then they, they you know, took them and put these lathes in the middle of these little canoe things and they went up river with us. And um, I would say <laughs> <laughs> these fantastic. are the most enthusiastic students that I had ever. Um, I have never seen those kind of skills with a chainsaw before. I mean, these guys, a lot of them were making their living harvesting lumber out of the rainforest. So they would cut down a tree and they would stand on top of a log, stick a chainsaw in it and back up and have a perfectly straight board that was like 18 feet long out of this super hard exotic wood. And then they would drag it through the forest down to the river, tie them together to make a raft, float them down river over three days and sell them. And at the end of it, they were making like cents per board foot. Insane. So wood turning was a uh, a much easier and safer way for them to make a living. They could use all of the stumps from all of these other trees that had been harvested. They could use lumber that had fallen in the forest naturally. Um, so it was a it was a good alternative. But yeah, I remember yeah. again telling my dad like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'm going to Panama in a couple." He's like, "Wait, you're actually doing that?" <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't think that one was gonna happen i was like oh yeah that'll be fine he's like <laughs> yeah so that that's fantastic i i love <laughs> that's an awesome story okay sorry i didn't mean to jump in but i was like yeah, yeah. we that's have fine. to hear more about this because that's yeah. <laughs> that's a great story okay sorry keep, keep keep going all right so so lots of teaching and demonstrating all over the place and in 2000 the very end of 2015 i started working with this lighting company and once that started, I didn't have enough time anymore to do the farmer's market. Plus, it was a challenge because most of my teaching and demonstrating was on weekends and it, it, it was in conflict. So um, so I quit the farmer's market. 2015 was my last year. Started going uh, more full-time with that, that lighting company, doing a bit more teaching. And that year, I got a call from this guy, Martin Goebel, um, Goebel Furniture. Mm. If you guys are familiar with them. That's how uh, I first saw you was on their Instagram. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So he calls me out of nowhere. I'd never met him before. And he's like, yeah, I have this idea for a table. And I'm wondering, can you turn it? And I said, okay, well, how big is it? And he's like, how big can you turn it? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, here's the capacity for my lathe. And he's like, well, let's make it that big. <laughs> just Let's just max it out. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, Wait. um. Yeah, we got, you know, there was a whole lot of back and forth trying to figure out how that was going to work. And um, I remember having a conversation with with Stuart, my mentor. You know, I, I asked everybody and anybody I could, again, reaching out and um, trying to get any advice and any knowledge that I could to do this thing safe <laughs> or as safe as possible. And we came up with a couple of ideas um, over the course of a conversation. And the, at the very end of it, Stuart was like, you know, Ashley, um, I've never turned anything that big. <laughs> it's like, it's like, good luck with that, you know? Um, but yeah, that, that whole project was, was a fun and big challenge. And, um, and it started, that's when I started learning more about Instagram. I had never really been involved with it, with it and hadn't really thought about it for my business. Um, I would say the the demographic that I had been, teaching uh would be mostly on facebook and not so much on instagram yep so i thought oh wow there's this there's this whole new world here and um started posting a few more things started meeting um other women that are my age that are doing woodworking you know Anne of all trades mm-hmm. um i think she saw a post that i made about going to teach in portland she's like hey you're gonna be close by like stop in for a visit i was just like okay out of nowhere and um, there's just more and more people that I've met in that that whole, after going for so many years and thinking like there, there really aren't any other women my age that are doing this. And, um, and there are, and Instagram has helped me to find them. So that's, that's been really cool. Um, people like Amy Gregg and April Wilkerson. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I remember, uh, and I don't remember exactly when it was, but I want to say it was probably 2017 
mm-hmm. and, and I think it may have been like a throwback uh, type picture yep. from uh, on Gobel Furniture. And it was this was back when I was also I was doing a lot of reposting. And so I'm always mm-hmm. like looking for something like eye catching. I was like, oh, my gosh, what? That is the biggest thing I've ever seen on a lathe. <laughs> no, and it was like you with the full face shield and like, you know, turning yeah. this. I mean, so what what was the what was the size? What did the size end up? I assume this was because I don't think I even saw the end. Was that what a, a pedestal base? What it ended yeah, up being? Yeah. So there was like there was the pedestal itself and then there was the foot of the table. The okay. first table that we did, I did not turn the foot, but the second one, I turned the foot, and that was probably the image that you saw. That thing, the foot of that table, when it was mounted up on the lathe, was taller than me. It was going over my head. Oh, my gosh. It's and, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was kind of an adventure. I, I had to uh, borrow somebody's lathe, a friend of Martin's that was that was in St. Louis, and this guy was, like, freaking out. We're drilling holes in his floor and bolting the lathe down, and he he was like... <laughs> Could you just can you just try it without without drilling the holes in the floor? I was like, no, no, <laughs> like, you know, no. I, I would like to live through the rest of today. So yeah, no, it's like yeah. hundreds, if not thousands, of pounds, and and uh, I'm sure when you're rotating like that, that has got to be all kinds of scary. Oh yeah, I think that thing was like sixty inches in diameter. That foot was oh, my the gosh. Uh, the pedestal itself is um, it starts out like 24 inches in diameter. And I think it's about 30, about 30 inches long. So that blank is somewhere, I don't know, like three to 400 pounds. So when I put that up on my lathe, I have to use an engine hoist to lift it up. That's the only way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. And so, and I think that's the, those are the types of things like and we say, like it's, it's kind of interesting, right? Cause it's like on both ends of the spectrum. So something like that, I mean, that is like, that is, you know, what I always like to call like a scroll stopper. Like people are going through their feed and they're like, whoa, what in the world is that? Yeah. Like they stop and they yeah. just like, cause you've not seen anything like that, you know, seeing right. like this, this seemingly little person in the scale of, like you said, it's over your head, you know, you're like, whoa. Um, and then on the other end uh, is, is like your finial work. And so if you have like, you know, a macro photo of, uh, you know, like a captured ring on your, on your finial or whatever, that that's just like another, like whole other side of the spectrum that's like, oh my gosh, look at the detail. And how mm-hmm. would you possibly even turn that without it breaking? Like yeah. it, w- when you got into Instagram and you were still doing that, like, how, you know, how did you navigate those waters when you first started getting into Instagram, finding these other people and community to connect with? Uh, did you see that? Like, did you use it as a selling platform for your, for your products or were you more behind the scenes and talking about your teaching symposiums or like, what, what did that all look like? Like when I started building my Instagram account, you mean? Yes. It was a lot of just showing like, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm up to. These are the projects that I'm working on. Um, you know, I know when you were, you were talking about, um, Instagram and really, you know, connecting with people like create and inspire that kind of thing. I guess, I guess that's more what it was about. It was like, Hey, you know, look, you can make a living at this. Cause I've, I've even had comments like that on my, my, uh, on my feed, something like, Oh, well that's nice and all, but you can't, pe- real people can't make a living at this. So it's like, um, I'm, I'm going to beg to differ here. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it, but it really, it takes a lot of hustle. It takes a lot of, you know, last year I was gone 50% of the time. I was traveling quite a bit to do the, all the teaching and demonstrating, but it was just showing people, Hey, look, this is what wood turning is because that's, if I start having a conversation with a random person, um, you know, not somebody through Instagram, like if I'm at a, a get together, whatever, people are like, what do you do? I say, I usually say I'm a woodworker because people know what that is. If I say mm-hmm. I'm a wood turner, then you see this sort of glossed over look on their face. And then they say, what is that? And I say, well, do you know what a lathe is? And they're like, no, I don't know what a lathe is, you know, and then you, you have to explain the entire thing. So part of what I want to do with my social media, um, with Instagram and hopefully soon with some YouTube videos is really just show people what wood turning is and what it can be. And yeah, the, the different scale of products that you can make, whether they're decorative or whether they're functional, um, you know, or even just making shavings for fun. A lot of people get into to wood turning as a kind of a, a therapy. People that have really stressful jobs, um, you know, whether they're police officers or paramedics and things like that. Um, I get a, a lot of different students that are that are approaching wood turning, saying, "I really just need something to take my mind off of X." Oh yeah. So, what I want to do is just show people what wood turning is. 
I want, um, hope I would love to think that I could start. I would love to, to think that we could start seeing a wider demographic of people in wood turning. Um, you know, part of it is showing, okay, you don't have to be a really big person. You don't have to have a lot of muscle. It it doesn't take a lot of brute strength. Um, and just, yeah, showing that it's, that can be something that's really fun and enjoyable, whether you're trying to make a living from it or not. Yeah. I think that social media, like it does a fantastic job of like breaking those barriers down. Cause you always have you know, incredible individuals who have experience that can literally come to you and say, Hey, have you tried this or have you done this? And then, and then you look into it and it makes something that could seem like so difficult become much more approachable. Um, and me watching your content, like I, I, you make it wood turning seem like a blast one and like, but it's always like educational. You're keeping it like nice and light. I love your content. I love seeing, uh, you getting, more into the Instagram thing, right? Cause Instagram has been pretty new for, for your, I guess like content portfolio. And, and I know we, we were together about what was that a month or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and your channel has been like exploding since then. And, and I love it because you're a fantastic person and a, an unbelievable Turner, but it's making the, the viewership of your content, you know, much more available. Like the bigger everyone, you, uh, the way it works, the bigger your account gets, right. The more it's going to get served to people. And I think that uh, I think your your goal and your mission for everything that you were just saying is like it's very much in line with like what I'm trying to do as well. You know, trying to inspire younger people to get into making things with their hands. Um, And you've inspired me like I've got a lathe coming and I'm sitting here like, oh, my God, I don't know what I'm going to do when it shows up. (laughs) But like I'm so pumped. I'm looking at like your website and stuff as we're talking and. I, I, th- I feel like that by just being able to watch some of your Instagram live and just some of your, any of your content, I feel much more, I feel much less apprehensive to get into it because I know that there's resources out there like yourself. And I think social media like creates that right in, in any, in any form. Cause I'm, I'm pretty confident with most of the tools I have, but I have no clue what I'm doing getting into this late. So like, <laughs> so I think you, you nailed it. I feel like I might have a trip to Pittsburgh going on. Right. Hey, I mean, you did go to CMU and like, who knows, but mm-hmm. uh, so like the, my point is that there's always going to be resources out there for, to learn new things. Right. I think finding the right one, is extremely important. I think you've nailed it with your content and in what your mission is with with trying to make turning more approachable, um, doing it the right way. You know, uh, I had no clue that there was any, uh, I guess, like wear and tear on your body physically from turning until we talked when we were talking at the last show we were at together. And you were like, mm-hmm. yeah, it be- it beats the crap out of you. Like it's it's extremely physically demanding if you're not doing it the right way. And I'm right. like, well, I turned this tiny little cup and it was nothing. And you're like, well, I'm turning 60 inch table bases. <laughs> like well, you can understand how that could be very physically demanding. So all in roundabout where I'm getting at is that I think a lot of us look at social media um, as something that's just second nature to us anymore. But if you could find the right resources, like a channel like yourself, I know Brad and I look at a lot of content creators in vast different genres, whether it's video production, photography, things that you don't think are matter to what we're doing, not just in the trade, you can learn a lot um, from just having that kind of perspective and seeing it off the cuff. But then there, we're fortunate to have individuals like yourself, right, who offer very in-depth courses and tutorials, things that you can get that hands-on coaching. And those are things that I've personally taken like a step back from trying to do more and getting more focused into doing going kind of deeper and investing mm-hmm. my time and money into. Um, and I'm a big fan of the coaching thing, but uh, I won't, so I just wanted to touch on that. I think you're doing a fantastic job of that and that your Thanks. growth on platform, I think uh, reflects that. And if you guys aren't following Ashley on Instagram, it is Ashley Harwood. Correct? Turning. turning. Ashley Harwood turning. Yes. Ashley yes. Harwood turning. And mm-hmm. I, I, you put a post out yesterday of just like shaving spraying over you. And I was oh, like, yeah. man, she's really getting this. Like you learn. I mean, cause that's the kind of stuff the audience is just like drool at and just give you after you, but um, make sure you're checking her out because it's not just, it's just not the Instagrammer type content we're all getting accustomed to. That's just put out there to be viral. Like you're sharing your, your students, you're sharing the work that you're doing. You're, you're trying to build community. You're doing a great job. So. 
keep Thank keep you. crushing it. I appreciate that. Well, I know you're putting a lot of work. I mean, our last when we were down, where were we? Workbench gone. You were like, well, you know, Instagram's kind of like working, and you know, I'm I'm getting into it more, and I'm like, oh, you're, you're going to be a monster pretty soon. Like, <laughs> I find myself seeing you on live and just watching, and my fiance is like, what are you watching? And I was like, oh, Ashley's turning, just like get away from me. <laughs> And it, like as you as you start doing uh, actually getting getting more of this and seeing kind of uh, you know not I know you know the power of social media and all that but as you see it uh, is there uh, is there more business um, opportunities that you're thinking about not just in obviously you're getting more exposure and so more people want you to come out but right. more of changing your model you know you're doing a lot of so you you have a lot of things that you're that you're selling that are very high end and then you're doing the classes. Uh, you know, what is that? Have you thought about you? I heard you say, you know, maybe YouTube, like, are you, are you thinking about going more digital to leverage your time? Cause that's the yes. one thing that, that I find, I think we all find as you become more successful, you start getting way more opportunities than you can, you know, that you can execute on. Right. Especially right. as a demonstrator and people are, you know, those are typically going to be on the weekends and those type of things that, uh, you know, that you can only fill so many but a digital course, you know, something that you can record. And even though it might not have that look and feel that are of the actual feel of, of the tool, that there's still some really great learnings. Like how, how are, you know, how are you navigating through those waters and, and what's that looking like? And when is your YouTube channel coming? Because we all right. want <laughs> Exactly. So, um, well, I did record a video last year with the Wood Whisperer, yep. um, a video mm -hmm. series on bull turning that is available now through the Wood Whisperer Guild. And awesome. um, I've been getting some really great responses from that. It's it's a lot. I don't even know how many hours of footage, but it's a lot. <laughs> like yeah, several hours. It's it's very in depth. And um, so I do have that out. And yes, I do have plans for a YouTube channel. Um, I what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to come out with like one video and then not have anything for a few months, and then one more and not have anything for a few months. So I have I, I'm taking another plunge here. I have hired a video guy he's going to be starting at the beginning of may oh, yes. and we're going to start producing a lot of videos hopefully and um so we will be producing a lot of youtube videos hopefully it'll lead to some like even more really cool content on instagram and things like that um, i do want to start doing some live instructional classes online i'm going to have to figure out exactly how to do that and what the best platform is all that kind of thing uh, but something where people can actually sign on live, they can ask questions, you know, while it's going on and have that, that feedback right away. Um, the, the thing that I'm really looking forward to is that, so we talked about my background and when I went to art school and doing these like big, crazy, ridiculous things, but like being able to use a lot of creativity. And ever since then, you know, I, you know, I, I used to think if I could just find a way to pay the bills, even if I have to have three roommates and like just get by, <laughs> then then I'll I'll be, you know, happy. And then, you know, I get to that point and and then eventually I get to where I didn't have to have the roommates, which is really nice. But uh <laughs> I wanna get back to where I'm using more of my creativity because that I feel like I I've sort of put it into hibernation for a number of years while I'm doing, you know, a lot of the production work and a lot of the teaching and those things are really great and they've, they've done well for me. But I feel like amazing things are really going to start happening when I can start bringing that creativity back into my wood turning. And that's mm. where I see YouTube is, is being able to come in, where I can come up with ideas of things that I want to make just because I think they're cool and fun and I think everybody else will too. So... Yeah. I can see myself really being able to expand my options, being able to expand my horizons. I don't, who knows, maybe even like combining neon with wood turning and, you know, doing crazy stuff like that, you know, being able to create pieces that maybe aren't so functional, but that people are going to enjoy watching the video of. Right. And that's like, you look at somebody like Bobby Duke arts, right? Like, mm -hmm. like Bobby is, is an artist. Uh, and none of his stuff is functional. Right. His stuff is like on the other side of creativity, take a left, uh, you know, go a few miles down and just keep going. And then there's a hyper hole, you know, outer space that you go and there's Bobby. Uh, yeah. and, and he, and so, you know, there's absolutely, I think there's, there's proven that, that piece. And I like, you know, what's so funny as 
as I, I never would ever consider myself a creative. I was, you know, I'm an engineer, I think in straight lines. And I look at the stuff that you're doing. And like, to me, it is so creative, like these mm. finials and just like the details, like to me. And so, you know, just like knowing that in your, somebody like yourself, your, your head, somebody who's, who has schooled and been brought up to think as an artist and has just really uh, let that kind of permeate through their life and, and, you know, done all these creative things uh, that you're, you think on such a different level, because I look at the stuff you're doing now and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so creative. And you're like, I'm just like, I got the cap on it. I need to let the cap off. And so <laughs> I, like that, that to me, like I, I look at that from a business perspective, that's the stuff type of stuff like you're, you're talking about, like that's the type of stuff that just, it's that page stopper, it's that virality, it's those things that can take off on YouTube because because people, a lot of people think like me and they've never seen that. And then like you let the the bottle, off, the top off the bottle and you know, you've got some neon bowl, whatever's going around your yeah. mind and it's going to blow people's minds and you get the right thumbnail and the right title and it's going to be like, oh my God, that's a, that's a 10 million view video right there. So I am really excited to see what you could come up with because I, I love that idea. And I think there's a ton of opportunity there. And then that opens up a whole new door for, right. uh, you know, working with brands and people that are completely have nothing to do with woodworking. Right. Cause then you can get right. into all those things who people who just want, you know, to get their name linked in with uh, a really awesome channel like yourself. So I am super excited about that Thank and uh, can't Thanks. wait to see what you come up with. Yeah. I want to do some, uh, I don't know. I have this idea in my head too. I want to do like an across the country tour and like go and visit all of these other people that I've become friends with over the years, you know, wood turners and non wood turners. And yeah, I have a whole bunch of different stops I need to make. Yeah. So, oh, that, that, that'd be an amazing series. Like yeah. turning across the nation or uh -huh. I don't know, exactly. <laughs> yep. I love that. I love it. Cool. Well, I tell you what, one thing we, we like to ask, uh, we've loved hearing your backstory, but uh, one thing we like to ask uh, all of our guests is a piece of advice. So, you know, as you've gone through these last 10 years and from where you started to where you are now, uh, what's a good piece of advice that you'd give out there to somebody who's just kind of starting on that journey or something that you've really learned along the way? So something that a good friend of mine said to me years ago, like the, the year that I started turning, um, he's uh, another business consultant friend of mine. Um, I became friends of his uh we became friends when I was bartending and, um, you know, as I got asked to work for one business or another, you know, I was able to ask him, you know, what do you think? Like, what do you think about this business proposal or what do you think about this idea? And, um, so we got to be good friends and he would always tell me, he's like, trust your instincts, trust your gut. And I, you know, for years I was thinking, I don't know what he means by that. I really don't, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, but he would say, you, you have good business instincts, you know, trust yourself, start listening to yourself. Mm. Where I feel like um, a lot of the, a lot of people in general, but I think a lot of what we get from the education system is like, you have to do things by the book and it has to be this and this and this and this and this. But I think there was something in me, there was some instinct where I knew that I was going to make this work. I knew that I was going to make it happen. I knew that I wasn't going to stop until it did happen. And even I would say some of my, uh, you know, my closest friends and my, my biggest champions and even my parents, my dad was like, well, actually, you know, I really thought for a while there I'd pointed you in the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> it was a struggle for a long time, but I kept my head in there and I kept trying to think, how do I make this work? Looking around at other people at the market, who's successful, who's not? Okay, how do I learn from that and translate that to my own business? I would say don't underestimate yourself and what you can accomplish. If you know that you can do it, if you really feel and believe that you can do it, then don't let anybody talk you down from there. Love that. I love that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think that is. I mean, you're, you hit a nail, the nail on the head is, is that uh, when you go into something that you have a feeling about it, right? And, and you, it, it never quite goes the way you think it's going to go. Right. But yep. if you know, if you know that through line is that like, hey, I'm going to see this thing through and I'm going to do what it takes. And even though I thought it was A, B and C and it really ends up being J, K and L, like that you just pivot and switch and then it turns into something completely different. That's that's a great piece of advice. And because the, there's always going to be people that are like that. That'll never work. That'll never mm -hmm. work. And if you listen to them, 
I mean, if you, you know, you're not going to make it far in business anyway, if you, if you put that much stock into what other people say, because there's enough haters in this world to, you know, <laughs> to tell you that it's not going to work. So, uh, right. great advice. I, I love that. Yeah. The naysayers just, just, I backhand them all the way. Just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. That was, that was awesome advice. That's something I, I'm very, I can very much relate to because I've always been a big dreamer. So mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to, like Brad said, seeing what you come out with here in the future. Um, it's been so so awesome having you on. I know we, we had a little bit of a hiccup before with some, <laughs> but it was <laughs> some absolutely stuff, worth it. But it was yes. totally worth it. Yeah, yeah. Totally absolutely. So uh, thank you so much for coming on, Ashley. And we can't wait to see what you have in store in the future. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. I, I tell you what, John, if we can get somebody to find the pictures of Ashley, like in the saran wrap and, and hanging those the things at the Carnegie Mellon. <laughs> I love I love that story. I can just see you like sneaking in, getting in trouble for uh, a saran wrap installation art and like being suspended, uh, you know, in the veranda or somewhere. <laughs> yeah, she when I took her class at WorkbenchCon, she had a couple of those photos and it was just incredible the scale of some of the things she was doing. Um, she's so ambitious and fearless and such a cool cool guest to have on the show i always love chatting with her um just really incredible to get that full perspective um that she brought to the yeah brought to and the how she turned that turning that into the business aspect and and becoming such an amazing teacher i can't wait to one day get some one-on-one teaching with her because um she is just such a pro it's fantastic yeah. uh, guys if you do want to hear more about ashley and get some more details uh, on her YouTube channel, which is coming out, and her website and everything, you can head over to madeforprofit.com forward slash episode 96. Yeah, be sure to jump into the conversation that all of the MFP tribe is having over on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash made for profit tribe. Really awesome stuff going on there. That's where we uh, get a lot of our inspiration for the one on one shows that you and I are doing, as well as our. Uh, our MFP tribe, the patrons specifically, is where we pull questions for the after show, which is uh, what we're about to do now. Absolutely. They've got their own Facebook group, which is a little more intimate and uh, a little so more open. Intimate. So intimate. <laughs> so uh, if you do want to join that patron squad, you can head over uh, to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. All those links are in the show notes, so you can head over those to make it easy for you. But right now, John, let's go hit it up and uh, talk to the patrons. Let's do it. 